0: invite you to take the word of the Lord and open it to the book of 2 John. 2 John. If you're not familiar with where that is, go to the end and turn left. It'll be right there, right before the book of Revelation and 3 John. 2 John. Today we're going Uh, To be looking at the whole of this epistle, verse 1 to 13, Uh, it's not often that we get to read a whole book of the Bible in our uh, time together uh, as we uh, read God's Word, so let's do that. I would ask that you would stand out of reverence for the Word of God this morning as it is read. Let's listen to what the Lord says and speaks to us through John, beginning in verse number 1. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning So that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you And talk to you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Let's go together to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, now as we open your word, we pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive it. Father, we pray that you would do what only you can do in this time. And that is take the truth of your word and apply it to our hearts and to our lives. Father, we ask that you would feed us from your word. We ask that you would convict us. We ask that you would encourage us. Father, we pray that you would make us more like your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that if any here are not trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, we pray, Father, that indeed through your spirit and through your word, you would make them alive. We praise you. We thank you for Jesus Christ, our Savior. We thank you for your word that you've given to us. It's in Jesus' name we humbly pray these things. Amen. And Amen. Well, you may be seated for today and the Sunday after next, we're going to be looking at these very two small letters of the Apostle John. Second John and Third John indeed have been entitled the Postcard Epistles. Each of these letters would have fit on a uh, nice little piece of papyrus back in the early times of the New Testament to be sent uh, to various churches. And these indeed are the shortest books in the New Testament, 3rd John being being the shortest. 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, a part of this trilogy, were written by the beloved disciple of Jesus, John, the younger of the two sons of Zebedee. You'll remember hearing about James and John as they were entitled in the Gospels, the sons of thunder, as they came to be called. We've seen and we know from there that John was very zealous for the Lord. John was very zealous for the teachings of Christianity and his Savior. We see a glimpse of his zeal in the Gospels, where he and his brother James, they became enraged at a Samaritan village that refused to receive Jesus Christ. And you'll recall what they asked of Jesus. Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Right, to say the very least, John was very passionate and zealous for his Savior. According to tradition, John spent the last decades of his life in Ephesus, overseeing the church there, and also giving leadership to the surrounding churches in that area. Paul had planted this church in Ephesus, and had, uh, before this time, he had already died. He had been martyred for his faith. So John is writing these letters very late in his life. Around second John, he would have been in his eighties when he is writing these letters. And that tells us a lot about the apostles in general and John in particular. They had a love for the truth of God and a love for the people of God that never faded in their lives. Even in their last days, they were passionate about seeing the churches of Jesus Christ be pure and be holy and be faithful. The author of this book should be an example to all of us. As we grow older, that we should likewise grow stronger and more fervent in our faith more fervent in our desire to see God working through the local church in this world. As we age, we should become more and more enthusiastic about the things of God, not less and less enthusiastic about the things of God should be more enthusiastic for the church and for the local church to see her be faithful to God's word, not just here in this place, but all over the world locally, here in this region, and all over as we've already been praying for, over in the Middle East, in all countries, we desire to see God working through his church in this world. Well, John indeed loved these churches and he wanted to see them remain faithful to the truth of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. But the problem was there are false teachers on the loose. And in many ways, the churches were in danger. The book of 1 John speaks about some false teachers that had left the apostles' church and they were going around spreading the false teaching to other surrounding congregations. And in this letter of 2 John, John is very concerned about these churches. As we see in verse number 12, John hoped to come and visit them personally. He wanted to come to them. And that is probably one reason why this letter is so short. John is planning to go to see these churches, but the danger was so real that he could not wait. He had to write something to them. He had to write a warning to this church so that his letter could get there even before he could come. And in this short letter, John is trying to guard and protect these churches from error and from false teaching. He's concerned that they continue to love one another, He's concerned that they continue to abide in the truth about Jesus Christ and to reject teaching that is false about Jesus Christ. Indeed, the church was in danger. John couldn't wait. And so here we have these little epistles that were written to these churches and to this church in particular, John writing to them. The concept of truth is a unifying theme. You you heard that word repeat as we were reading through this letter. And we're gonna use that word truth uh, to help us maneuver our way through these 13 verses. So first, let's look at the greeting, verses one to three, and our first point, and that is unity in the truth, unity in the truth. John identifies himself here as the elder. In the church that he is writing to as the elect lady and her children. Now, John, speaking of himself, refers to himself just as that an elder, which is the office of pastor, overseer, elder in the church. He's probably the head elder there in that local body, and that is how he is referring to himself, the position that he holds within the church. And so he says the elder, they would have known who it is that was writing this to them. That's all he had to say, the elder, as he was writing to them. And he refers to the church he's writing to, interestingly, not by a geographical name, but by a phrase, the elect lady and her children. This is metaphorical language to refer to the church, to the church and its members. It's a beautiful picture, really. We know that the church is the bride of Christ, that she is elect, that is, she is the chosen one of God, that God has chosen out of this world to be his people, to wash them, to cleanse them, to save them. Some want to take here this elect lady as referring to a literal lady, and so uh, some people will do that. They'll say that this is a literal lady and her children, not the church, but uh, if you take that view, uh, then you have to have the Apostle John writing to a lady in verse number five and telling her, and now I ask you, dear lady, that we love one another. Since this is not John's wife that he's writing to, uh, I just say that's odd, to say the least, that he would write to another lady and say that we love one another. So I think that just helps us see here that he's writing to a local congregation. Also in the end, in verse number 12, he says, I hope to come to you. That's a... A a you, a second person, plural there, y'all. I hope to come to y'all or you guys, whatever you wanna use there for that. But it's a plural. He's writing to the church saying, I hope to come to you all. I want to come to visit you. So this is a letter written to a church. Notice what John says of them. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth. Because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Three times in these first two verses, we see that word truth, truth. Love is connected with it. Whom I love in truth. And so you see these two words used together here, love and truth. Any so-called love that is not based upon the truth is no true love at all. In our own day and time, we have done a good job, at least at separating these two concepts from each other. Some today, you'll have heard it uh, maybe like this. Some today say that doctrine divides people and we just need to love one another. In other words, truth divides people because people disagree. So we just need to love each other. We just need to show love, and if we disagree, you know, on some very important things, that's okay. We just need, we need to love, but that is not what we see in the New Testament. It's not true truth if it doesn't lead to loving others, and it's not true love if it doesn't believe the truth. God's word reveals truth to us. God's word reveals to us that we are sinners, that we need a savior, that we, deserve, we don't deserve to be saved, but God is gracious and merciful to come to us and to save us. And there is a unity that we have together in that truth. That unity was displayed just a few moments ago for us in the taking of communion together. What is it that we are all doing when we take communion and we are communing together? It is that we are all doing this because of Jesus Christ. We're all doing this because of who he is and what he's done on the cross 2,000 years ago for us. So it's this truth, the truth that we are sinners, that we confess our sin to God and that God has provided a savior in the person of Jesus Christ that has done what we cannot do for ourselves. It's that truth that unites God's people together. The same apostle that wrote this letter also wrote the gospel of John in it that we've been looking at. It says that Jesus himself is the way, the truth, and the life. And it's these truths about Jesus and who he is that unite us together, that united them together, that always unites God's people together. Verse number three, he says in the greeting, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father, Son, and truth and love. The truth of God's grace, mercy, and peace indeed unite us together. Not only I, he writes in verse number one, but all who know the truth. So he's writing to them, but also all who know the truth. And then in verse number two, we see all the us's, right? All the us's because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us. So you see this unifying factor of truth and of love going hand in hand. Just look around at all of us here this morning who are a part of Redeeming Grace Baptist Church. We are joined together with one another in the bonds of Christian love because of the truth about who Jesus Christ is. I would hope that if we take the truth of Jesus Christ out of this place, that we would crumble and fall, right? It's the truth of Jesus Christ and the cross and what he has done for us that unites us together in this place. It's the truth of Jesus Christ that as we look around that makes us brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. There is unity, brothers and sisters, in the truth of Jesus Christ. So we see that here in his greeting as he's tying together this concept of truth and unity that goes hand in hand with it. Next, in verses 4 to 6, we see a call to walk in the truth. A call to walk in the truth. In verse 4, down to verse number 6. In verse 4, we, for, we first see a thankfulness in the truth. So, a thankfulness. Look at his thankfulness in verse 4. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. John heard about those in the church who were remaining faithful to the truth. Somehow that word got to him, and it didn't just cause him to rejoice. The text says here, it caused him to rejoice greatly. There There was great joy for John to hear about these believers being faithful to the Savior who saved them. Indeed, how much pleasure and deep-seated joy it brings to a minister to see other people walking in the truth. There is hardly anything more encouraging for an elder in the church to see believers in the congregation walking in the truth of God's word. Staying obedient seeking to please Christ, seeking to live in obedience to him. And not only elders, of course, and ministers, but it's true with every single Christian. Doesn't it bring you joy to see other people living in obedience and faithfulness to walk in the truth? That when you see people that you know, brothers and sisters in Christ here, that are going through difficult times in their lives, How encouraging is it to see them remain faithful to the gospel? To see them going through difficult times in their life? To see them going through tragic circumstances? And to remain faithful to God? To see people that are walking with him daily? I dare say there is anything more encouraging than to see that. To see people in their struggles fighting, losing, getting knocked down, coming back to the cross, coming back to Jesus Christ. I couldn't help but even have this uh, point on my mind this morning as we're... Um, of the Lord's Supper, and I'm sneaking a peek at you guys sitting up here on the front and just turn around and look and see you and know the things that you're facing and things that you're going through to be here this morning saying, I believe in Christ. Christ is my savior. I'm receiving Jesus, partaking of communion. It is so encouraging to see one another walking in the truth. And John says that here, and he says, I rejoice greatly. The problem is kind of in here is that he says to see some, (laughs) right? As he says, there's some of your children. That kind of leaves the door cracked to say, well, maybe there aren't some who are walking in the truth, which leads us here uh, also to a point of encouragement, or excuse me, an exhortation in verse five to six. So a thankfulness, he's thankful, but he's also exhorting here to continue on. So in verse number five, he says, and now I ask you, dear lady, writing to the church, Not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning that we love one another. John is reminding them here to be faithful to the basics of the Christian faith. It's not as though John taught them about Christ and of salvation and then months later was scratching his head and said, oh, I forgot about this love part. I forgot that I'm supposed to tell them to love each other. So let me sneak that in there and get that in there. Sorry about that. Now, from the very beginning of his ministry, the command to love has been fundamental. They are to love one another. Love one another. Love those within the body of who you are united in the truth. I'm thankful too that John just doesn't leave it hanging there for us in verse number five to say to love one another. He's going to go forth in the next verse and he's going to define it for us. What does it mean to love? So look at verse number six. He says, and this is love. So that's what he's saying here. And here's what I mean by the command to love. Here is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. John says, here is what love looks like. And notice that John does not define love as a feeling. John doesn't define love as an emotion. John defines love in terms of obedience, obedience. John says, and this is love that we walk, how? According to his commandments. Walk, walk. Walk also is a major theme in these verses. To walk refers to how we live. John's carrying over here language from the Old Testament, And it means how we, quote, live or conduct ourselves, right? Of course, John is speaking here metaphorically and using metaphorical language, right? Christians don't have a specific gate with which they physically walk, right? We walk in love, and here's here's what that looks like. No, we're to have a life that is characterized by certain actions, right? And that is our walk. That is how we are characterized, John says we are to walk, quote, according to his commandments. Now, that's a mouthful right there, isn't it? (laughs) How are we to walk? We are to walk according to his commandments. Commandments here is plural. And it's pointing beyond a single command, say, to to just show love to one another. He's speaking about a full-orbed life lived in obedience to the Father, Okay, so this is a general thing of saying living in obedience to the commands of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, right? That is what it means to love. That is how we are to walk. It's to show in our actions. We're tempted, just like these believers in New Testament times, to simply love with the word and not by deeds, it's easy, isn't it, to say that you love God, right? If we were passing out a true or false test this morning, do you love God? Well, yes, true, true, I, I love the Lord, right? Most of you would probably circle that. It's easy to say that. It's easy to say that we love one another here in this body, right? I, I would assume Those of you that have gotten to know me, you might struggle with that, right? But it's probably easy for you to say that we love, love one another. But the rubber really hits the road when that love is put into action. To make an effort to be involved with each other. To make an effort to be involved in the lives of the other members of this church outside of our worship services. How deceived we would be to think that we could show love to one another only during the few hours we see one another in worship service. Showing love means that we're involved with each other, that we're praying for one another, that we're calling one another, befriending one another, trying as best as we can to meet the needs of one another, to know those needs, to share those needs. Are there ways that you could improve in these areas? Let us look around us and seek to show in a tangible way love for others. Right? This isn't the job of just a few in the church. This is the job of all in the church as John is writing to love one another. It's vitally important that we walk in this and to walk in this truth. We're encouraged and filled with joy to see others walk in the truth and we're likewise encouraged to continue on in obedience ourselves. To put truth into action, showing love to one another. We must always remember what John said as he made it specifically clear in the book of 1 John 3.14. He says, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love God. The brothers, whoever does not love abides in death. He's saying there, how do we know that we have passed out of darkness into light? In other words, we know that we have been saved because we love other brothers and sisters in Christ. So let us be about that task of walking according to the commandments of God, of loving one another. One of the worst things that could happen to a church, as we're going to see in a minute, is to be led astray by false doctrine, to receive and to not be watchful and mindful. But also one of the worst things that could ever happen to a church is to begin to be divisive, to bite one another, to devour one another from the inside and to not show love. Right? In many ways, John is combating both of those things in these churches, pressures from the outside of false teaching, and even maybe some problems of the inside of how they are dealing with one another. Let us ever be minded that we are united in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that God has instructed us to show love to one another. There is unity in that love. Let us be faithful to walk in that truth, to be thankful and encouraged as we see others being faithful to him and also be exhorted to be faithful to love one another. This brings us to the third point here. And this is a call to abide in the truth, a call to abide in the truth. So not only does John encourage the church to continue to walk in the truth, he exhorts them to abide in the truth and the teachings of Christ. He's encouraging them to not go beyond what the scripture says, there are three things we see in verse seven to 11 of how to abide in the truth that we have been given. So how are we to abide in that truth? First of all, by, by discerning, by discerning. Look at what he says in verse number seven. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. We must remain and abide in the truth because there are false teachers and deceivers in this world. Those John is warning the church about are probably the same people that he mentioned in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 and 19 that have gone out of the churches. Listen to this just try to follow him because he's gonna start weaving like a seamstress here. But listen to what he says in 1 John 2. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Listen to what he says. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us, right? So he's, do, he's doing all of this and he's basically just saying there, look, these false teachers left the church. They went out, they're believing something heretical about Jesus Christ and they have left the church. They've left the church because they're not of us. If they would have been of us, then they would have persevered, they would have remained with us, but in order to become clear before everybody, they went out from us so that all people could see. These people that left the church were no doubt going to other churches in that region trying to spread the false teaching. We don't know exactly or precisely what damning heresies they were teaching, but it had to do with the person of Christ. It says that those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh... And so probably here we're speaking about something about Jesus Christ, something about his coming and his coming to this earth, meaning his coming in the sense of coming down to live a perfect life, die on the cross in our place and be raised from the dead. And so they are messing this up about his coming in the flesh. Many have gone on about what this damning heresy might be, but the point is here is that they're messing it up about the person of Jesus Christ. The severity of their doctrine and their error is great, right? So the apostle John is not writing these churches here saying, hey, watch out for these people with this millennial view, you know, these these people that hold this view of the millennium that think that Christ is going to return at this time, you know, watch out for them. They're the Antichrist right? That's not what he is saying here. This is on the level of importance of doctrine that John is writing to them saying, you need to be aware. You need to discern. These teachers no doubt claim to have the true teaching about Jesus, but John calls them a deceiver. A deceiver. A deceiver is one who takes away from the truth. A deceiver is somebody who causes another person to be mistaken, right? So you're teaching something that is not true. More than that, he umps the anti, no pun intended, to call them even an antichrist, right? Against Christ. They're teaching things that are contrary to the truth, even contrary to Jesus Christ himself. Listen, as Christians, we must be a discerning people, Just because someone comes with a smile and a witty teaching does not make them truth bearers. Be wary of happy heretics. Heretical teachers never introduce themselves as such, do they? Hi, I'm a heretical teacher, and my name is. Nice to meet you, right? That's not how the deceiver works. They always try and persuade That what they teach is true. How do we discern? How do we discern? How do you discern the very words that I'm even speaking to you right now? Brothers and sisters, we must know what God's word says. If we do not know what this word says, we are a prime Target to be led astray and deceived Those in these churches would be hearing of preachers that would come to them and teaching about Jesus and some heretical view maybe about how the spirit was with him at baptism and then the spirit left him before Crucifixion because in their minds the son of God could not die and so they're teaching something false about Jesus Christ and about his death on the cross in our place We must be wary and be discerning of the things that we hear. Don't be naive, right? When you turn on the radio station, have your discerning ears on. When it's late at night and you turn the TV to TV, well, don't turn the TV to TV, right? When it's late at night, you see this, we must always be a discerning people, listening to what We hear, we must be a people who know the word of God and seek to live in obedience to it. The fact of the matter is there are many deceivers in the world today. It's no different than the time that the apostle John was writing. Brothers and sisters, we must know what God's word says and abide in it. We abide in that truth by persevering in verse eight and nine. Verse eight, John gives the first commandment of this book. He gets to verse eight. He says, watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, for, but may win a full reward. Believers are indeed to be people who watch yourselves. In other words, be prepared, pay attention. What is the opposite of that? What is the opposite of watching yourselves? Well, it's not paying attention, not being prepared, just coasting of not being conscious of the fact that there are false teachers and teachings in this world that if believed could be damnable sending one to hell. What is this that John is warning them about not losing? He says the full reward here. And he's speaking here of salvation, of eternal life. These verses are not speaking about either having a full reward in heaven or being deceived and following after the Antichrist and having a partial reward in heaven. No, this language is too strong for that. The path to salvation in heaven is paved by being a watch yourself person, a person who is paying attention. How true all of us need to be in this, especially especially our students, especially our students who are learning Right, if you're a student here this morning, I just exhort you from the word of God to know God's word because this world that does not believe in Jesus are not going to teach you the th- truth of God's word. Many things that the world is going to teach are true about this and of that, but the truth of the knowledge of Jesus Christ can only come from the word of God. And listen, that is Against an assault today of who Jesus is, of salvation, of sin, of the reality of heaven, the reality of hell. Don't be deceived. Listen to the true word of God and hold on to it. He says in verse number nine, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. You see how serious what he is saying is? Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So he's saying that those that go on ahead, they don't have God, they don't have Christ. But if those who remain in this teaching, they have both the Father and the Son. Do you see the contrast with abiding here, remaining, in the one who goes on ahead what a beautiful picture here of the person who goes on ahead of the truth of God's word, right? We're at risk to not say as much as God's word says, right? If whatever it says, we have to say that. We don't cut it short, but also we don't go beyond it. To go beyond what God's word said is, and that is what we see taking place here. And oh, how we see that taking place today. Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, Christian scientists, Each of these teachings have gone on ahead. They've moved on from what the Bible teaches about the true message of the gospel. The health and wealth gospel has gone on ahead of the teachings of God's word today. Judaism has gone on ahead from the teaching not accepting Jesus as the Messiah. And we as Christians must always be a discerning people of not adding on anything to the gospel message because when you add on to it, you're actually subtracting and taking away from it. And so we're warned here to not go on ahead. You see, as a Christian, we don't innovate in our teaching. We receive it, we guard it, we defend it, we hold on to it. Jude speaks about contending, quote, for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Paul, in concluding 1 Timothy, said, O Timothy, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. The content of the gospel message is not to be changed or added onto or subtracted from. It is to be received. It is to be kept. It is to be abided in. If we add on to the gospel message of grace, you lose God you lose salvation. If you abide in the truth of the teaching of Jesus Christ, you have both the Father and the Son. The old apostle pleads with the churches. Hold firm to the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Abide in it, remain in it. Don't go on ahead of it. Know what it says. We must be ever vigilant Individually and corporately, to remain and abide in the truth and the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Another way that we do that quickly is by rejecting. We see something that sounds strange to us in these last few verses. It says, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. This verse isn't necessarily speaking against, say, letting a Jehovah's Witness come into your house so that you can chat about the truth. Rather, it denies Christians to support the work of false teachers, to give them room and board, so to speak, as it were, right? Or rather to treat them as fellow believers. We need to watch how we do that even with our speech, right? And with our actions towards those who accept a false teaching about Jesus Christ. We're never to be mean. We're never to be mean-spirited. We are to show the love of Christ, but we're likewise not to give the wrong impression to someone that if they're denying a fundamental truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they're okay, right? We see the problem here, especially of uh, when pastors and ministers would come into the churches, they would be received and they would be welcomed and they would be, uh, they would stay in the homes of people with that church as they went around to preach. And he's saying, look, when one of these false teachers comes in, don't, don't support them. Don't receive them. The truth of Jesus Christ is too important We end here by seeing very quickly a fellowship in the truth in verse 12 to 13. Listen to this concept of fellowship in verse 12. It says, though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. John wanted to come and talk with this church. He wanted to speak to them face-to-face, literally here it says mouth-to-mouth. He wanted to come and to speak with them. But he needed to at least write this letter encouraging them in the truth, warning them about not receiving a doctrine different than that that they had received of Jesus Christ. Once again, we see the sweet fellowship of being with other believers who are walking in the truth and the foundational impact that that has on our walk Though I have much to write, I would rather not use paper and ink. I hope to come to you and to talk so that our joy may be complete. So that our joy may be complete in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and who he is. And oh, by the way, the children of your elect sister, they greet you. The members of this church greet you. They send greetings to you. Why? Because there's a fellowship in the truth of Jesus Christ. The apostle John had to write this short little letter because of what was at stake. Unity within the church over showing love to one another and the problems of the reality of false teaching that was floating all around these churches and seeking to find a nook and a cranny to come in and to bring deception into these churches. May we realize the importance of truth this morning. May we as a congregation realize how important it is corporately to hold on into our confessions of faith about who Jesus Christ is and what he's done. May we ever keep that front and center here at Redeeming Grace Baptist Church. You know, it might be this morning that you're one of those people that don't necessarily focus too much on just facts and truths from Scripture, And it may be that God's word is just exhorting you, pushing you into the realm to realize how important truth is. Of how important the teaching of God's word and knowing what God's word says. I pray, I would hope that this would encourage you on, push you towards knowing God's word and having your little ears up and prick to not be Deceived. Because brothers and sisters, there are false teachers and deceivers galore today. Also, may God's word push us towards the reality that we show love and we show that we know the truth by living that out in our lives together with one another. May we ever seek to grow in doing that to grow in putting into action what we know to be true and living in obedience to the commandments of Jesus Christ. I pray that there would be even something on your mind that the Spirit would impress upon you that he would have you to do and continue to be faithful in or to exhort you to begin practicing. Let's go to our Lord and Savior in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ who is the way, the truth, the truth. And the life, Father, we thank you that we can find forgiveness of sins not in our doing something, but in our trusting in what Christ has done for us. Help us to show the love that we have received to one another here in this church. Help us to be a people who are discerning, who love the truth, and who seek to live in obedience to you. Father, we praise you for Christ, our Savior. Thank you for forgiving us of our sins, from taking us to death, into life, from being deceived into knowing the truth. It's in the name of Christ, our Savior, we pray. Amen.